Hey, yo, Cali Green Monster Show. Sports. Stuff. Yeah. What up, Connor? Y'all wife is in me DMs, hey baby. Hit me back up on Sanchez later on. We'll be on the lot of party to win no club, baby. You're looking bitch, you little Welcome into another episode of a Cali Green Monster show. Thank you for the introduction, Connor McGregor. It was very charismatic of you, as always. I am your host, Dean Ryan, coming to you here from the Tesla Studios in beautiful, sunny San Diego, California. It's a Monday morning, July 12th, 2021, and I've got an excellent show lined up for you guys today, as always. If you're your new listener to the podcast... First off, welcome in. You put on the perfect show for putting on in the background of whatever you're doing that you don't really necessarily want to be doing at the moment. Maybe you're at work, maybe you're working out, or maybe you're just sitting in your apartment and just need something to fill that quiet, empty void in your life. Put on a Cali Green Monster show. Let me give you news on the up-to-date sports. Maybe you missed a big game over the past couple days. Maybe you missed something big that's supposed to be happening. Put on the show. I'll let you know what happened or let you know what even matters or what's even worth knowing about. So, you know, welcome into the show. I've got an excellent one lined up for you guys. I think I've mentioned that, you know, because let's be real. Every single show is a fucking treat. You know, this weekend is coming off a big sports weekend. This or this Monday is coming off a big sports weekend. We had a huge UFC, UFC 264 in Las Vegas that was headlined by the trilogy of Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor. So definitely going to talk about that and a few of the fights on that card. There were a couple big soccer matchups international soccer finals that happen both in South America and in Europe so definitely going to be covering those big game three happened last night in the NBA finals want to talk about that so let's move into this show and let's lead off with one of the biggest upsets and disappointing performances to come out of the sports world. And no, I'm not talking about Conor McGregor and his weak Irish ankles. I am talking about Team USA losing an exhibition exhibition match against Nigeria in the lead-up to the Tokyo Olympics. That's definitely not something you would expect from a a country that's known for, you know, having the best basketball team. You know, when people think of great, you know, professional sports teams, uh, greatest teams that have ever been assembled, people think of the dream team. And that honestly is supposed to be what the USA puts together every four years. So you think that a team that's headlined by players like Damian Lillard and Kevin Durant, that they would have a pretty solid chance of basically mopping the floor with every single team they're playing against. But that's not the case. On Saturday, when I was getting geared up to watch the UFC pay-per-view, my brother texted me and said, hey, the USA is about to lose to Nigeria at basketball. And I was like, "That's that can't be a thing. And sure enough, I switched it over to NBC Sports Network, and the USA is on the verge of losing to Nigeria, a team that the last time they played, I think they beat them like 150-something to 80. So 
definitely I don't know what happened. You know, this game did take place at the Mandalay Bay. So the USA's training camp is happening in Las Vegas. And let's be real, the USA training camp happening in Las Vegas, that's one of the reasons I think that's how they incentivize a lot of these guys to take part in playing in Team USA. Why else do you think they have it in Las Vegas? If it was all about keeping them completely focused on basketball and the task at hand, they would have it like up in Montana or Wyoming or something like that where they can have solitude and isolation and really build team chemistry. Let's be real. I'm sure like a half hour before they played Nigeria, they were at the craps table at Mandalay Bay, walked onto the court. I mean, there was a point when Popovich had them in a timeout, and you look at a couple of the dudes and they look straight up faded or they were hung over or something so I'm not necessarily worried I mean I would expect Team USA even on their worst day to come out and run the floor against Nigeria or any team against in the in the in the world but that apparently wasn't the case you know hopefully this is the low of the lows for Team USA and that just means it can only get better for them because hopefully you know we don't have one of those embarrassing you know they don't show up to and not even podium or something like that because you know all the European, the Eastern European countries, they're definitely going to be bringing it with their Euro steps and three-pointers, and you know, we'll see, because that was definitely a disappointing performance, but I'm going to chalk it up to these dudes were just uh, busy, you know, having the Vegas flu. Speaking of Vegas, there was a huge event that happened on Saturday night, basically the same time. So, you know, USA finished up, they lost, and I bet you they were all focused on, hey, you know, there's a basically across the street at the T-Mobile Arena, there's one of the biggest events going on in the sports world, and that's UFC 264, headlined by Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier's trilogy. And, you know, there was a lot of build-up to this. You know, Dustin Poirier finished Conor McGregor back in January. And Conor McGregor was kind of vowing. You can see the best Conor McGregor you'd ever see. You know, I was even thinking that this is going to be the first time that we're going to see Conor McGregor kind of like going from one fight camp to the other. So we're going to think of, you know, someone that, you know, over the past few years, I think ring rust has been one of the narratives going into his fights and that was definitely not one of them this time i think it was more can he check the leg kicks and can he come in and fix the problems that he had in the second fight and really come in and try to you know show dustin Poirier something different that he didn't see and you know i predicted that this was you know conor mcgregor was going to win in the first round i know the odds were against him and i know that history is usually against the person that lost the second fight in the going into the third fight but i also did declare that this was going to be the last time that i was going to believe conor mcgregor on his hype you know i think he had earned my trust, you know, and his ascent to stardom, you know, I feel like ever since he decided to go take that $100 million payday against Floyd Mayweather, we haven't seen the same Conor McGregor. So, you know, Saturday night happened, and I guess we can say that this is the last time I guess I will follow Conor McGregor into the octagon as a supporter of him. Well, not necessarily as a supporter, I'll probably still root for him, but kind of believing his kind of... um you know, the aura that he had kind of built for himself on during his UFC career, his Mystic Mac, being able to call out what was going to happen. And, you know, I mean, he was saying that he was going to, you know, Poirier was going to be leaving on a stretcher. 
but it ended up being him leaving on a stretcher. He snapped his tibia at the very end of the first round, and you know it was definitely very pretty shocking. And I feel like in the year of 2021, when we've seen like Chris Weidman's leg snap and a couple of other brutal limb injuries, you know this is just another one we chalk up to like fuck freak accident. You hope that you don't see this kind of stuff, and it was a real shame that this is that's the way that this fight had to end. You know I don't know if Conor McGregor's ankle would have held up if he would have been able to show Dustin Poirier anything else because the fight really wasn't going his way in that first round. I feel like when the fight first started, Conor McGregor definitely came out aggressive. He was doing a lot of spin kicks and, you know, really coming at Poirier, but Poirier was able to get him to the ground. And, you know, Conor McGregor, he did go for a guillotine attempt at one point and even had me going to my wife like, dude, hey, Conor McGregor like might actually pull off a guillotine right now. But of course, I mean, you know, it didn't happen and if anything a lot of those times when people go for guillotines at the beginning the most that they're just going to do to themselves is gas themselves out because it, it really takes a lot on your arms to be able to try to choke someone out like that and Dustin Poirier he's a black belt he's definitely probably been in positions like that before especially training an American top team I'm sure he's being strangled all the time by guys like that so Conor McGregor I'm sure wasn't really posing a threat to him and then when he was able to get out of that he was really dropping bombs on Conor McGregor. Every once in a while, McGregor would start hitting him with some elbows from the bottom. But let's be real, I would have much rather been Dustin Poirier in that situation, really dropping bombs. And there was a certain point, I think in the last 10, 15 seconds of the round, where I thought they were going to stop the fight. But they definitely seemed like they let the fight go because, hey, you know, it's going to, it was probably, you know, got a plus million buys I think Dana White was saying it was going to be about 1.7 to 1.8 million buys so they definitely were going to give Conor McGregor the chance to recover and you know Poirier got up and McGregor stands up and the next thing you know they both like exchange and McGregor just falls on his butt and it was weird because you thought, okay, did McGregor just get clipped? Like, is he, like, on Wobble Street? And I think, like, yeah, he definitely was on Wobble Street because his ankle fucking snapped. And you couldn't really see it at first. But then, of course, showing the replay, you know, you see when he throws the punch, his back ankle just completely rolls. And it just, it was nasty. And you knew right away that that thing was broken. So, you know, it ends up with a doctor stoppage, round one TKO. Conor McGregor seemed pretty adamant to be making sure that it was clarified as a doctor stoppage. He didn't want to make it seem like he quit or his coroner threw in the towel. He wanted to make sure that it was known that it was the doctor that stopped this fight. So, you know, he could blame it on his ankle. And they're already working, or he's already trying to angle for McGregor Poirier for. You know, while he was on the ground, I mean, at the beginning of the show, I kind of played you a clip of his post-fight rant. So breaking his ankle like that and getting beat for a second time by Dustin Poirier still hasn't humbled Conor McGregor. You know, he went into surgery. He had three-hour surgery, and he seemed confident as ever, saying that it's going to be six weeks on crutches, then work towards building back up. And let's be real, Dana White has even come out and said that you know, that fight wasn't finished. It was just his his leg snapping, and he hasn't shut down the idea of McGregor and Poirier 4. So, 
at least in the immediate future, Poirier is still healthy or seemingly healthy. There hasn't been any word of him getting any injuries from that fight. So I anticipate him fighting Charles Oliveira sometimes later this year. And, you know, I, I think that he definitely has a good chance there. Charles Oliveira is dangerous, but I feel like Dustin Poirier has really evolved himself into you know, arguably the best 155 pounder in the division in the world. So I'm definitely looking forward to the build up to that. As for Conor McGregor, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. You know, in the post fight conference, they asked Dustin Poirier if he were to go on and win the lightweight title and Conor McGregor is able to recover and rehab and be ready to fight. Would he accept, you know, fighting Conor McGregor for a fourth time for the title? And Poirier seemed to shoot that idea down, you know, pointing out that Conor McGregor hasn't beat anyone at 155, you know, basically since Eddie Alvarez, which was back in 2016, if I remember correctly. So, he definitely is calling out that Conor McGregor is probably going to have to win another fight at some point. So unless Dustin Poirier loses the title fight, you know, we're probably going to have to see McGregor come back, maybe fight like a Nate Diaz again, or, you know, even if he comes back at all, I mean, I was surprised that he wanted to jump right back into a fight camp and fight after the, you know, the first Poirier rematch. And I think there was a lot of people that were even surprised that he even came back to fight after the first Khabib or after the Khabib fight. So I think at the end of the day, you know, Conor McGregor is a crazy Irish guy that likes to cage fight. And I think no matter how much money he has, I think we'll continuously to see him doing something, whether it's in the UFC, whether it's if he decides to box Jake Paul or something like that, he definitely seems like he's going to continue fighting and he's going to continue making money because he seems like he's still a star, you know, going into the octagon, the whole crowd was cheering Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier and I believe that he still has star power I think he still draws a big crowd and I think even with the loss you know he's still a star and he's still gonna you know he's still gonna sell a million plus pay-per-views on his next pay-per-view if he decides to come back so at the end of the day it was a disappointing ending to a nice build and a pretty exciting first five minutes of the fight but you know what can he do then weak Irish ankles I think all that whiskey it must have went to the ankles and poof Turned to powder and snapped. Well, like I said, not I guess not ankles. It was his tibia. Eh, close enough. So in the co-main event, you know, Gilbert Burns, he got a decision over Thompson. You know, I think it really came down to rounds one and three, him being able to get takedowns and kind of being able to control the fight. You know, I had mentioned at the beginning of the, you know, on Friday show that this fight temp uh, had the potential for being a snoozer. Steven Thompson has has had boring fights in the past just with the way he fights. He's pretty content with staying on the outside and using his range and kickboxing and content with letting someone else trying to come in and make a move. And, you know, with this fight, Gilbert Burns, anytime he did have to come in and do something, it was either to clinch up or to take down and kind of keep the fight grounded for the rest of the fight you know this was definitely a, I'm going to go use the restroom during most of this because I want to be able to be ready for the main event so I definitely did that and I could just hear the booing coming from the TV so I definitely don't feel like I really missed much I mean listening in nothing really too exciting seemed to be happening on and you know Gilbert Burns won unanimous decision so even though I did pick Stephen Thompson you know, I'm not really particular bum that I, you know, picked that one wrong. I feel like at least I was right in knowing that it was going to be a boring-ass matchup, which it ended up being. There was also the heavyweight matchup. I called Tai Tuivasa knocking out Great Hardy in round one, but I did not 
call Tai Tuivasa being a fucking complete savage and drinking like five shoeies. You know, that's definitely one of the nastiest things I've ever seen. I think Dana White even mentioned in the post-fight news conference if it was the end of the world and there was nothing to drink and the only thing there was to drink was drinking a beer out of a random person's shoe, he'd rather fucking die of thirst. And I completely agree. It's pretty insane, especially coming out of this pandemic when, uh, you know, everyone was afraid to even be within six feet of each other and you got tied to Avasa like drinking beers out of random dudes boots i mean one of the dudes even put some of dustin poirier's hot sauce in the beer with the boot and i don't know if that's what he thought was gross was oh there's hot sauce in this beer and like completely ignoring the fact that there was probably like 500 different types of fungus that joined the yeast that was in the beer you know but tied to avasa dude he definitely knows how to entertain a crowd you know he was he has an exciting style you know big australian like samoan dude that knows how to kickbox complete savage i went to get in the ring with him and you know with the scary dude he definitely uh reminded fucking greg hardy that hey you're not in the ring with your girlfriend that you beat up back in the day and kind of ruined your nfl career so you know let's see what happens with greg hardy you know he's like four four and one in his career and like i said he's kind of i feel like you know is he really worth keeping on the UFC roster when I feel like every time he's brought up to fight it's always bringing up the allegations and I guess not even the allegations I think it was pretty kind of clear that he did beat the shit out of his girlfriend based off the evidence I mean he literally lost his NFL career for it and I mean he's not a particularly impressive heavyweight so you know we'll see I'm not necess- I'm not going to be that guy that's out here calling for Greg Hardy's job I'm just saying hey every single time he fights it's just that's always going to be a topic conversation pretty much the opposite of fun when like you know compared to Tai Tuovasa and then the last fight I want to talk about was the card the fight that opened up the card Sugar Sean O'Malley he definitely put on a show against Chris Moutinho and I was expecting it to be a round one knockout but you know to basically our treat Chris Moutinho is one of the toughest people you ever see you know he reminds me of Jan Finney and if any of you know who Jan Finney is she was a chick that like over 10 years ago was a sacrificial lamb to Chris Cyborg and just like took a beating for three rounds but she kept coming and that's what Chris Moutinho did here against Sugar Sean O'Malley. You know, O'Malley was never in trouble at any point in the fight you know but he was unloading like five six punch combinations after the fight he was saying the only thing that really caused any damage was his fist from punching Moutinho's face so many times so you know O'Malley is definitely one of the must-watch people in the UFC right now. Anytime he's on the card, you've definitely got to make sure you're checking it out because he seeks out highlights, he talks a big game, and he backs it up. You know, I think he's one of those dudes that, you know, he's definitely... If he's going to lose, he's going to go out on his shield because his fighting style is exciting. You know, I mean, he was even dribbling an imaginary basketball in there in between beating the shit out of Moutinho. So, you know, it was impressive. And especially considering that this Moutinho guy, he basically was like a zombie. You know, there were the announcers and, you know, Rogan and Cormier and commentary were basically pointing out that O'Malley was obviously getting tired. And especially, like, I think at the end of the first and second round, he was both looking up at the screen to look at the clock and they're pointing it out and it was like yeah I guess he is kind of tired and it must be kind of I don't know it must be kind of uh I don't know, rat, maybe rattle your confidence a bit when you're throwing everything and the kitchen sink and a hammer and fucking bashing this dude in the head with a bat and this dude is still fucking coming. But, you know, at the end of the day, Herb Dean stopped the fight like towards the end of the third round and Moutinho was... 
you know, arguing the stoppage and the crowd was booing it. But let's be real. I feel like that fight could have been stopped like so many times. It was kind of like a, well, I mean, if you're going to stop it now, why didn't you stop it two minutes ago? Or why didn't you stop it at the end of the first round or at some point in the second round? But honestly, I don't really have a problem with the stoppage because, you know, I think O'Malley does deserve that, you know, that TKO on his record. And let's be real. I mean, even if it was another 30 seconds, Moutinho really wasn't offering much to O'Malley. And I didn't see some big flash knockout happening so the only thing I saw happening was just a more accumulation of damage happening on Moutinho and the referee's job is to stop that from happening so I feel like that was the right decision and you know UFC 264 if you ended up spending the money I think you definitely felt pretty good about it you know but also at the same time if you are one of those people that likes to pirate it and stream it I think you are living the good life as well you know Dana White was asked how he's doing a good job of fighting piracy and pirating UFC pay-per-views and he's like dude we're we're some of the best at it we're doing really good like we have no problem with that and meanwhile my buddy Jeffrey is like well I'm watching it in 4k right now so you know what Dana White you know keep doing that good job because at least it's not good enough to you know some russian kid out there is helping my buddy jeffrey save like 70 bucks every single pay-per-view meanwhile i put my clown makeup on and fire up the espn plus subscription and pay for the pay-per-view every time yes i'm paying for bruce buffer's sweet suits Let's move on from the UFC. Let's talk about the two big international sports or soccer finals that happened yesterday or over the weekend. The first one was on Saturday, and it was Lionel Messi getting his first major international trophy. Argentina beat Brazil in Rio. You know, Brazil looked like the better team. I felt like they were controlling the match. But it, all it took was one counter where Di Maria chipped the goalie, and that's all Argentina needed. You know, towards the end of the game, Brazil was really bringing on the pressure, but it didn't matter. Argentina held on. And, you know, Lionel Messi, I think he led the tournament in scoring and assists. And if you look over his whole body of work so far in 2021, you know, he's averaging over a point per game. You know, he's scoring goals the same, you know, maybe not the same clip as his peak, but he's still clearly the best player in the world and we might be looking at him getting another Ballon d'Or but at the end of the year so Argentina they pulled off a big win against Brazil and in the Italy England final I think you know before I I guess review what happened I think I'll bring up a clip from Friday's show because it basically summarizes exactly what happened in the game yesterday on Sunday so here let me bring it up but I think that they're going to have a hard time scoring against Italy. And I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on them. And I know that it's going to hurt English fans to hear this. You know, they know, I know they want it to come home, but I think that Italy's going to win. And I think it's going to be one of those. It's going to be like one, one, probably going to go to penalty kicks. And, you know, I think Donnarumma, he's, you know, he's definitely a good heir to the Italian goalie throne after Buffon. Buffon was like the best goalie for the past, like, you know, few decades. And I think that, you know, I, I would trust Donnarumma the most when it came down to penalty kicks. So. All right. Now we're back to present day. And yes, that was the sound of you time traveling back into the past on Friday. Listen to me basically call exactly what was going to happen. You know, it, 
England, right off the bat, it looked pretty hopeful. I mean, you'll probably never see a crowd of people cheer and get more happy than the people at Wembley Stadium in the second minute when Luke Shaw connected on that cross by Trippier. You know, England was put into a fervor, held the 1-0 lead going into halftime. But, of course, you know, I feel like it can't be English football without it being a complete tragedy at some point. Italy ends up tying the game in the 67th minute. Benucci puts in a, you know, there was a basically a scramble in front of the net after a corner kick. And, you know, so it's 1-1. England had a hard time. You know, Italy basically dominated possession of the game, especially, you know, for most of the game, had more shots. And it went down to penalty kicks. And Gianluigi Donnarumma, best goalie in the world right now you can argue player of the tournament you know shut down england at the end you know he made a couple big saves in the tournament or in the pks and italy wins via pks and wins the euro cup you know breaking the heart of hearts of english fans in england and all around the world so it's not coming home but it's coming to rome so Italy, a European champions, coming fresh off the heels of not even qualifying for the 2018 World Cup. So Italy, definitely impressive showing by them. And, you know, I think they're definitely going to be talking about the heartbreak of this final in England for, you know, years to come. I mean, this tournament was put on a silver platter for them. They played six of their seven games at Wembley. The final was at Wembley. This was definitely set up for England to win. And you figure if they can't win at this, you know, in this at the Euro 2020, I really don't know when they're going to win, you know, the next World Cup. I think it's hard to put money on this team, even though they're young and full of talent. I think that the pressure that the English media and just that is just on this team is almost too much to handle. And the longer that it goes, the longer this streak goes of not having a major international tournament victory or trophy, you know, that pressure is just going to build and build. So definitely not envious of people having to play for England you know you look at Sacco that 19 year old that missed the last penalty for England I mean he's been getting hit with racial abuse you know I think Marcus Rashford has been hit with that so the English fans they're definitely you know not being the most classy in defeat you know they've had English football has had to put multiple things out on Twitter and on social media to telling the fans to stop being racist so you know that's definitely an issue you know I mean Anytime you watch soccer, if you play FIFA, you'll notice on the sidelines, it's a say no to racism because, dude, soccer in Europe, man, you know, if you think there's a racism problem in the USA, go check in, in Europe, man, where they literally throw bananas at black players. So it's like that's the kind of fucked up things that happen in Europe. And, dude, that sucks for the English players that are having to kind of go through shit. I mean, especially that 19-year-old Sacco that had the balls to go up and take the deciding penalty kick at the very end against Italy at the Euro Cup final. Definitely don't envy that guy. And I think that, you know, you know, that's one of those things where he's, you know, he's definitely going to learn from it. And I expect, you know, his career to, you know, I, I expect it to be, you know, him to have a, you know, success moving forward after having lived through something like this. So... 
we'll see what what goes on with England moving forward. But, uh, you know, Euro Cup was definitely exciting. I enjoyed covering it. And, you know, I think it's kind of a little bit of a lull in soccer until the seasons start picking up in August. So, you know, don't expect me to talk about soccer for too much, you know, moving forward, at least until something exciting pops up. Before we get out of here, just want to highlight last night the Bucks won game three in Milwaukee last night. They completely dominated the Suns 120 to 100. I feel like that 120 to 100 score makes it sound closer than it really was, but it wasn't. You know, Giannis Antetokounmpo, who a couple weeks ago, we were worried that he might be hurt for a whole year or plus with that hyperextended knee. He came out, was extremely dominant, 41 points, 13 rebounds, 6 assists, and you could tell that he's definitely more comfortable shooting free throws in Milwaukee when you don't have a crowd counting him down. He was 13 for 17 from free throw. And Drew Holiday, he had a better shooting performance last night, finished with 21 points. And Chris Middleton, he chipped in with 18. You know, I think the big thing with the Suns, Devin Booker, he, you know, had a pretty caca night, you know, 10 points, three for 14 from field goal and, you know, one for seven from three point, you know, the Suns, you're not going to be able to win with Devin Booker playing like that. And so I'm not necessarily worried for the Suns right now. I predicted that it was going to be the Suns in five. And I thought if there was going to be a game that Milwaukee was going to win, it was going to be game three. And, you know, they really had to win because they couldn't go down 3-0. They had to make it a series. And they definitely at least have kept themselves in the series. I think this game four is definitely going to be a big one because if Milwaukee ties it up I think you've now got pressure back on the Suns you've got the pressure now back on Chris Paul because you know just getting to the finals is not enough for Chris Paul I think for his legacy he needs to win this thing so you know I think that the Suns are still in good shape right now but they're going to have to figure out you know some way to kind of stop Giannis I don't know if they're going to have to you know really just kind of put a lot of traffic in the paint and force the the Bucks to have to spread it around and you know I don't expect Booker to play that bad moving forward so you know we'll see but I still I still got Suns in five and you know but the, like I said I've said multiple times the way that this NBA playoffs has gone I feel like whatever you end up saying end up opposite completely happens so I think maybe me saying Suns in five maybe I'm guaranteeing Bucks in six just by saying that you never know tonight home run derby go check out Shohei Otani he's gonna blast some dingers I don't know who else is in it. I think Juan Soto's in the home run derby but I do know it's in Colorado so in that thin air I expect the balls to be flying I expect Shohei to knock it at least 600 feet so definitely go check it out but for this show that's all I got for you guys on this show if you've made it this far thank you so much you guys are the fucking best if you even liked what you're listening to, you know, be a friend, tell a friend, help spread the Cali Green Monster brand, you know. But until next time, I've been your host, Dean Ryan. This has been a Cali Green Monster show. Have a great one, guys. Peace. Peace.